With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, Slate listeners. I'm Christina Cotarucci, the host of Slow Burn, Gaze Against Briggs. I want to tell you about a special event we're doing at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York City on June 13th. To celebrate this new season of Slow Burn and Pride Month, we're hosting an exclusive live taping of the show with special guests, including civil rights activist and Black Lives Matter organizer DeRay McKesson, comedian and singer Esther Fallick, Eric Marcus, the host of Making Gay History, and Sam Fader, director of the Netflix documentary Disclosure, about the depiction of trans people in film and television. We'll dive deeper into this season and talk about the lasting impact of the Briggs Initiative and the continued fight over LGBTQ rights in schools. It'll be the perfect way to celebrate Pride Month this June with LGBTQ stories and voices across generations. Again, that's June 13th at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York. You can get tickets now at tribecafilm.com slash slowburn. Hope to see you there. You're listening to Working, the show about what people do all day. I'm your host, Jordan Weissman, and we are back to our ongoing series about people who work in services for the homeless. In my last episode, I talked a lot about children who are experiencing homelessness and their lives in a family shelter. And I kind of wanted to expand on that theme this week and go a little further with it. So I spoke with Kevin Najmabadi. He works at PS105, the Bay School in the Rockaways in Queens. And his job is really to be the point person for kids and their families who don't have a permanent home, whether they're in a shelter or they're doubled up. You'll learn a little bit about what that means. Part of the reason I thought this episode was really important is because there's sort of a policy issue that's underpinning it. You know, I'm a policy writer most of the time here at Slate. This This is dear to me. And I I don't think you can fully understand the challenges that public schools face right now, educating kids, especially in poorer neighborhoods and poorer communities, unless you realize the extent to which these children do not have stable living situations, do not have stable homes. You know, I spoke to Kevin a little bit about just the the surprisingly high fraction of, of his students at this school who do not have a permanent place to call home. And once you start factoring that into the way you think about American public education, it it just really changes your perspective on it and what we are asking teachers and principals to accomplish and do. So, you know, I hope this interview gives you a little bit of insight into that part of our public school system. What's your name and what do you do? My name is Kevin Najmabadi and I am 
a Students in Temporary Housing Community Coordinator at PSMS 105, the Bay School. And where is the Bay School exactly? The Bay School is in Far Rockaway. Queens. Queens, yes. Sort of the the remote, most people think the of... The peninsula. Uh, yeah, yeah, the peninsula, exactly. Most people think of it as sort of the beach in New York. Can you tell me a little bit about the, the community out in Far Rockaway? So... The community, there's not a lot around in the area. Uh, I noticed there's no movie theater around the area. There's not a lot of things for people to do outside of school or the local community center, at least on this side. And then when you get into the 90s and the 100s, there's, you know, there's some stores here and there, but not like a place where you can socialize or go out with your friends. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's a very nice area. And they're actually, they have multiple projects happening on the uh, the peninsula to build it up. The beach is a few blocks away, so that's amazing. You know, is the school low income, high income, you know, middle class? How how would you describe the student body? I would say low, low income, socioeconomic, yeah. And majority black, white, Hispanic. I would say black and Hispanic. And you're the point person for kids in in temporary housing. So, am I right to say that means essentially you're the guy who looks after? Children who are experiencing homelessness? Yes. So children that are in shelters, um, in family shelters, DV shelters, which are domestic violence shelters, doubled up, which means it's not a traditional household. So it could be mom, dad, cousins, aunt, uncle, all living in the same household. So I'm the person that they can come to for resources, for basically like a middleman. I'm a liaison between the school and them, guidance counselors, the families, uh, shelter staff. How many students are, are experiencing homelessness in your school at any given time? How, how, many, how many charges do you have? I can't give you the exact number, but I could say 50 to 100. 50 to 100? Yeah. Out of a student body of how many? 800. Over 800. Wow. Up to one out of eight students is experiencing some sort of homelessness or housing instability uh, at yeah. any given time. And that, it's, it changes. It could change every day. Kids find housing or they lose housing or they, they yeah, cycle or we get in new families. It. Yeah. And this, others move away to uh, permanent housing or they move to another shelter. Yeah. How old are the kids at your school? We have 3K to uh, eighth grade students. 3K, three-year-olds to 14-year-olds. Oh, wow. So you've got elementary through middle school, essentially. Yes. Okay, so a pretty wide age range. Yes. Are the kids in temporary housing kind of concentrated in any any one grade level, or is it all over? No, it's all over that range, yeah. How long have you been doing this job for? I've been doing this job for three years. Two years as a family assistant. I was working with the DOE as a family assistant inside of an actual shelter, a family shelter. So I got to see that side of it. And what was a family assistant? What were you doing oh, there? Oh, I'm sorry. So as a family assistant, I did intake for the families who came in. Um, I helped them with the transportation. I helped them with making sure that they were able to register at the school, at the local zone school. Because, you know, if, if you're identified as a student in temporary housing, you're, you have the right to just go in and register. You don't need documentation. A any documentation you could get... Um, afterwards. Yeah. Like, but they have to be immediately enrolled. So I got to make sure that the schools know that they're coming from that situation. How did you end up moving to working in the schools? So the DOE Office and Community Schools, they, they created this new role, the STH Community Coordinator, because of what's going on with homelessness and families and how it's growing every year. 
Yeah. So they created this position throughout the city, every borough. And I saw an opportunity to move to this position, work inside of the school. And it's more like with the students. I got to see more of the students because before I was in the shelter, I got to see I got to see what the parents went through. And I worked with the case managers and, you know, found out what resources they needed to try to get out of the shelter system. But now I'm on this side where I get to see how the children are impacted. And and you get to kind of play a role in, in helping them get the resources they need in schools. Yeah. And I still I still engage with the families too. So that's a good part about working at the school. I get to see both the families and the children. How do you figure out if a kid is homeless? Well, that's a good question. Um, I can tell you that we have housing questionnaires and uh, that's what we give out to families every year. And they check off whether they're in permanent housing, they're in a shelter, they're doubled up, and then they give those back and then we put it in the system. That's required under federal law, right? Yeah. I believe it's called the McKinney-Vento law, right? Yes, the McKinney-Vento Act. Yeah. So you guys give that questionnaire out and, and that's the main way you figure out who, who needs your assistance and, and who doesn't. The DOE... And DHS, Department of Homeless Services, they have a dating sharer agreement mm-hmm. so that the school records are accurate. So okay. we, we share information. So that's another way that we know who's where. So if someone, if a kid shows up in the city's, in the Department of Homeless Services database, they tell you and you can cross-check your kids with their database? Yes. Okay. So there, there are multiple levels of data here aside yeah, from... So it shows, yeah, it would show up on our side that they're into shelter. Even if a kid doesn't fill out the survey correctly or doesn't fill it out at all, then you guys will approach them. Yes. How, how does that conversation go? Well, most of the time when, when they come to register to our school and they recently move into a shelter close by, they'll come in with a letter from the shelter. And then whoever's doing the intake will come to me and let me know. And then I have a conversation with them about the services that I could provide for them. I let them know we have a food pantry. I give the children uniforms if they need it, and I make sure that they feel comfortable with the school. What about the kids who are doubled up, though? I mean, they're not going to show up in the city's database, and I assume that they don't all properly fill out the the questionnaire, do they? Well, no, th- that we get from the questionnaires. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's how we get that. So those kids are uh, a little harder to track down. Yeah, and, you know, also there are, like, cultural differences. So maybe it's normal for some families to not be in traditional households, how we define it. Where it's just the nuclear family. Yeah. So that that definition's a little fuzzier for some families. Yeah, and sometimes they just don't want to fill it out, and that's that's up to them. It's how they want to answer that. But we do make it known that we have services for families in need at the school. Do you ever go to teachers and just ask how kids are doing? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've had teachers come to me and tell me, hey, I think this student moved to a shelter. This person told me they moved to a shelter. And then I'll investigate. Teachers are amazing. They're a great resource for me to find out what's going on with uh, a child's life. And it has happened here. There are students who go to the school. They're not listed as temporary you know, housed children, but they end up becoming part of the shelter system. So that does happen. It's not just new students that we never met. It's it's kids that we know, that, that those teachers have known for years that end up in the system. It sounds like everyone has to be involved. It's a real it takes a village thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. To keep tabs on all these kids and to to make sure you know what their home lives are. This episode of Working is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love listening to in-depth interviews and discussions of craft and the creative process or whatever the heck it is all the other podcasts you listen to do, you call the shots with what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. How, how would you describe your different responsibilities? If you had to divide your job up into, into different buckets, what would they be? I would say that um, every day changes. So one day I could be focusing on dealing with busing for the children, or one day I could be focusing on children who are on my list, um, who are in temporary housing. I could be focusing on their emotional emotional state or referring them to somebody in the school for counseling but most of every day, I, I do deal with attendance. Attendance. Um, I, I track their attendance. I make sure to call if they're not coming in, find out the reasons why they're not coming in, see if I can help with resources that can help. Is that an everyday ritual? Like it's, you sit down and see who's in school? Yeah, that's an everyday ritual. And I know who's in school. I know, I know the children who are here 100%. I know the children who, and I know the reasons why they're not coming in. And that's when I reach out. And I try to help. So a big part of your job is, is just making sure you know where everyone is. Because if, if I guess if you're not careful, they, they could disappear. Well, I would say they would miss their education, which they would miss learning. And that's a very, it's, it's tough to be in the, in the situation that they're in and also have consistency at school. So I think one very important thing is to have them, have the children have consistency. School is is one thing that I think could stay consistent. Tell me about that ritual. What, what is the daily attendance check? When the teachers do the attendance, they send it to the attendance teacher and it goes into our system and I could look up who came to school and who didn't come to school. And I basically, I have my own list, which I made in Excel, where I check off all my students. I have percentages. I have the days they've missed in the month. And um, I write notes. And if a kid is missing... One day, do you call the parents? I mean, uh, when, when do you start contacting parents or shelters? Sometimes they contact me, the families contact me and let me know that they, they can't be back in time to pick up their child because they have to go to, let's say, the Bronx to take mm-hmm. care of some business because that's where they're originally from. And sometimes if they missed two days in a row, I'll give them a call to find out yeah. what's going on. 
you check in at that point just to make sure that something bad hasn't happened. Yeah. Why are the kids typically missing school? Are there sort of reasons that you see regularly? Well, I think most of the time because the parents are uprooted from uh, their community and they come to a new community, they need to find what resources are around them and they need to get to know the place. And they, they end up traveling outside of the community to, to get what they need. Like they go to the benefits office in another borough because they don't know the area. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a challenge. So what you're saying is, you know, someone lives in the Bronx, they end up in a shelter in the Rockaways, and they, they want to go home to the Bronx to, to see friends, see family, go to the, the office that they're used yeah, to. Yeah, because that's, that's where they're supported. So when they come to a new place, that's what ends up happening. They end up going back there to get what they need. Is that kind of a big part of what, what's causing all the instability is that families and kids lose their home in one neighborhood and they kind of end up somewhere else in a shelter in sort of another random part of the city? Well, I can tell you from my school, I have a few parents that go through that. But um, I understand the reasoning for how PATH does what they do, how they move around. It's all based on availability throughout the city. So, you know, it's very hard to get everybody in one area, especially if, let's say, Bronx has the highest rate of homelessness population. They can't fill everybody there. So they have to move them across the city. So you you have to balance the needs of the system with the needs of the family. Yeah, So you do the attendance check every day. Are there any other kind of regular parts of the job that are always on the to-do list? Yeah, I check in on my students. I make sure they're doing all right. Um, I make sure they have what they need. I had one family, I noticed their children didn't have like thick jackets and winter is here. So a couple of teachers pitched in and got them jackets. So you got to notice, that's why I go and see the students. I make sure that they have what they need. And you mentioned Busing, that, you know, getting transportation is, is sort of a regular issue. What exactly do you have to do to make sure the kids get to school? Well, OPT has done a very good job with setting up busing for children who are in shelters. They get busing automatically most times. And it's always difficult in the beginning of the year because that's when everything starts up again and there's a lot of chaos. But for the most part, they're very good with getting students temporary housing and busing. And if there is an issue, I'm, I'm the person that they come to and I take care of it. If the kid's having a problem with their transportation, they come to you. Yeah, or if they need transportation, or if, let's say they move into permanent housing, they still have the right to have busing from wherever they move to until the end of the school year to our school. So you said also a big part of your job is just keeping track of kids' emotional lives and if they're okay. How do you do that? I communicate with the guidance counselors. Uh, we just got a Bridge in the Gap social worker at the school uh, who works with me with those students in temporary housing. And she sees the students who we've identified through speaking with teachers, guidance counselors, anybody who knows the student, whether or not they maybe need somebody to talk to. Do you have an open door policy where kids can come to you or are you sort of talking to you? How do you kind of keep these kids in your orbit? How do you know what's happening with them? I make sure that I'm present, that I'm there and they see me, they know who I am and I high five them and I ask them how they're doing. You know, I just, I communicate and make some jokes, and they they feel comfortable speaking to me, speaking to the other staff here. I make myself present for them. The point is to be around. Yeah, not just, not just sit in my office, like actually walk around, see them at lunchtime, uh, greet them when they come in through the door in the morning, be there at the end of the day. How often do kids actually come into your office? Oh, all the time. Yeah? yeah. Is it- <laughs> whether, whether, whether it's for good reasons or bad reasons, they're always 
coming in and out of, of the room. But yeah, they come in there, they come and say hi. And um, yeah. what's a good reason? Just to say hi or show us something, tell us they made us something. I have some drawings up on my board in there. It's pretty cool. And a bad reason is you know what, what's a bad oh, they reason got, they got in trouble they got in trouble they got in yeah. trouble oh that's interesting so if they get in like garden variety trouble too they feel like they can kind of come to you like for backup yeah I'm always there for them they they I just talk to them I don't get mad at them you know they come to me I, I speak to them like as kind as I can and try to get an understanding of why they did what they did or you know but that's but that's every kid that's every kid I'm not just speaking to the students at every housing I, I don't turn away kids who come into my office you know so I try to be there for, for all the students here. Raise your hand if you are burnt out. If email is something that gives you like a shiver in your spine. You are not alone. I'm Shirley Leung, host of Say More from the Boston Globe. Our new series is Beating Burnout. We'll hear from Cal Newport, Krista Tibbet, and more. We'll talk about breaking bad habits and forming new ones. The cure for burnout is all of us caring for each other. Say more from the Boston Globe. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. My understanding is that if a kid is identified as homeless, they get certain legal rights. Uh, can you tell me what those are? Yes. Yeah, so students are able to enroll immediately into school. They are able to get busing to school if they're K to six, or they get metro cards. Parents can get metro cards to take their children to school. If they move to if they move to permanent housing, they're able to get busing until the end of the year from the new address to the school, or they're able to stay at their previous school before moving to another area. Like if they moved from the Bronx to Far Rockaway, they're still able to get busing from Far Rockaway to the Bronx. That explains partly why busing is a big deal for your job, because you've, you've probably got kids coming from pretty far away in some cases, right? Yeah. So transportation becomes complicated. Yeah, and, and they don't want to move their children from the school. And I get that consistency is key. They don't want the children to lose their friends. So it really impacts them emotionally if they're moved to a new school. So I understand why parents would leave their children in their home school after moving to another borough. How much of your day is, is typically just spent dealing with like transportation logistics? At this point, everything is running smoothly with the Office of Pupil Transportation. So right now, not so much. Sometimes something will come up, but I'll make a phone call, and they're, they're fairly quick with any, any issues. So it, things get resolved fairly quickly. But before, there was a time where it was more? Well, I would say in, in the beginning of the year, it was a little hectic. It was just because when schools first start, a lot of kids, there's a lot of new kids. Then there's kids that come here for a few weeks and they go somewhere else. And it's not just students to every housing. So it's, it's up and down, the registration. And you expect children to show up, but they don't show up. And they're actually going to another school. So it's a little rough. Do kids ever just kind of stop showing up? Yes, but I had a family of four students who were coming here. They actually had five children, but one went to another school. And they stopped showing up. I found out they moved to another borough. And I had to make sure that they registered at the zone school they were at because they were, there was no way that they were going to get their children here. So that you actually had to help them move schools? Yeah, I had to let them know where to go, what to do, what schools they, that all the children could go to around there. That's when you see like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven days missing. Like you just watch it every day and you're like, okay, something's going on. And you can't reach them, then you find out they move. 
And at that point, you go investigate. Yeah. What's something you're particularly proud of that you've done at this job? Um, I would say starting the food pantry. Stop and Shop helped us with a food pantry. What made you realize or decide that the school needed a food pantry? Well, I sent out a survey, actually, to parents. I asked if a food pantry would be helpful for the family. Some people said yes. Some people said yes, but we're okay, but it'd be good for the school community. So I got good feedback, and I thought, okay, this is good. So I reached out to my principal, Ms. Shapiro, who was 100% in, and she got me the space I needed Yeah, after that, it was just getting the stuff. Working in the shelter, seeing the resources they have. Some places have a lack of kitchen space. Okay. So I try to get foods that are catered more for what they can use to make it. Like what kind of foods are we talking about? Microwavable, easy food to make, dry foods. And um, I had a family come who's who's not a, um, a family in temporary housing. And they told us that their benefits were cut off. And I went out shopping for them. I got them rice, beans, canned vegetables. So that's, that's something else that um, if somebody comes to us, I'll, you know, I, I could definitely make the time and go out and get stuff for a family. You, you personally went shopping for them? Yeah, I do. I do all the shopping. Me, myself, and the PA president, Mahalia Wright. Do you find families are ever hesitant to ask for help? Yes, I've had families not want to be involved in the with the food pantry, but you know I respect that. You have to respect them their privacy. You know I let them know the services are available. Do you find that kids who are in shelter have a particularly hard time keeping up with their schoolwork? In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Because what we're trying to work on is is getting kids to come in. We want to make sure that their attendance is excellent. Because as, as long as they come in, their academics are going to be, you know, up there. So when they start missing school, like if a family takes their child um, for a day or two because they have to travel somewhere, they're missing their education. You know, education is the key to success, to everything. That's really the main fight is just making sure these kids stay in school. Absolutely. And that's why I want to get them the resources that they need so that they don't have to go and, you know, miss the whole day and not be back in time to pick up their child. We want the parents to be more involved in the, with the school, with the staff, with the child's education. Is it hard to get parents who are in shelter to, to be involved in the school itself? I think it's hard to get a lot of parents yeah, fair enough. <laughs> involved in the school itself. Um, I build a good relationship with the families, and if we have a parent workshop, they come out. What do you think would make your job easier? More resources, more money to go into their academics, uh, more fun activities, more just funding, really. With funding, you can basically cater to what your school needs, Yeah, like what, for the children. What would be your dream program to create for, for these kids? My dream program would be to have an SHSAT prep class after school like eight months before the test in October. That sounds like something all, all the kids could use. Absolutely. Um, I just I feel like all seventh graders should be prepared to take the test. I don't think they're prepared much. The last person that got into specialized high school from this school I think was over 10 years ago and I'm, I, I really want to change that. 
it, it has a lot to do with where we're going to get the funding, who's going to teach it. I'm willing to you know spend my own time to stay here, and you know as long as I have the materials, I have you know I have the time to do it. So that's that's what I'm working on. I'm trying to. And I guess you should say for listeners who aren't familiar with New York City Public Schools, the SAT. H H S A T. Yeah, the the S H S A T. It's a specialized high school admissions exam for kind of. Uh, New York's, I guess you'd call them the elite magnet schools. And I guess if you could have one thing for the kids who are in unstable housing, though, I'm, I'm curious, what would be your dream program for them? I think it would be having resources for the parents as well as the children, like in one place. Like, So I had this idea, right, to have like a nonprofit organization or like city workers come and like work in the shelters instead of having the families who have babies or have children in school a few blocks away travel to offices where they have to take like five buses and two trains. And I, I think that would be like an excellent way to help the families. I was talking to someone about that. I was talking to a, an organization about that. I'm working on it. I'm trying to see if it's possible. That's just my idea. I'm not saying. I'm not yeah, like, no, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Patent pending. Patent pending. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That's it for this week's episode of Working. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. And as always, you can send me an email at working at slate.com. Working is produced by Jessamine Molly. A special thank you to Justin D. Wright for the ad music. I'm Jordan Weissman. Catch us next week. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.